0: All right. Hey, good to be with everybody today. How's it going? All right. That was a little bit weak, but that's okay. That's okay. That was Awesome. Man, it's so good to be with everybody here today in the room. Man, full house. That's so cool. So good to see you guys and great to be with you all online. We can't see you, but I'm sure you smell great and you've totally taken a shower and totally put on pants. And so we commend you for that. Man, I'm I'm excited to be here this morning in the presence of God. I don't know about you, but just everything happening in our world right now, I get a little discouraged during the week, and I kind of am like living for the weekend, but not really in the way that maybe some people are living for the weekend, but like I'm living for getting into this place with you guys in the presence of God and worship. Not to say I don't worship or get in the Word or spend time with Jesus through the rest of the week, but I have kids, and so there's demonic activity in our house, you know, every, every day just coming in and out. uh, But but in all seriousness, this is such an important thing that we do on Sunday because this is not just a bunch of religious people getting together to have a a service and sing some nice songs and, you know, high five somebody or give somebody a, a fist bump and eat a donut and go home. This is actually a very deeply spiritual and impactful thing that we're doing, which is when you look around this room, you're going to see uh, men and women uh, who aren't divided on gender. You're going to see generations old and young, not divided on generation gaps. You're going to see different ethnicities, uh, black and white and everybody else uh, joined together, not divided over race. That the church is a picture of what heaven looks like, which is a united, come on, a united place. That's what the kingdom of God is supposed to be and what it is. And so when we come together on Sunday, this is the last institution in our, in our world uh, that represents the unshakable kingdom. Everything's been shaken. The United States of America shaken. Come on. The uh, political and the, the medical and the education and the financial and whatever other area, whatever other institution people have put their hope and trust in has been shaken. But like we see in the book of Hebrews, when all this is shaken, there is one thing that is unshakable, and that's the kingdom of God. And so that's what the church represents and we are a small part of that we're not the we're not the big church the big c church right that's the church of jesus around the world but we are a local expression of that along with our other brothers and sisters and other houses here in eugene and springfield and so i this is a meaningful thing i want to commend you for being here and being a part of this atmosphere i want to commend you for taking the time out of your schedule i want to commend you for taking uh the the faith and courage to come and be a part of real church real community real family When God saves people, he doesn't save them out of isolation into isolation. He saves them out of isolation in their sin. They're at enmity with God and with other people in the world. And he brings them into the ecclesia, the called out to gather, into the church. You're saved out of the the world into the family of God. And he puts the lonely into family. That's what our God does. Aren't you glad that that's what God does? But man, family's not always fun. Sometimes family, you know, bumps Together, and if you have children, you know this, we're always adjudicating various disputes of who took the Nintendo Switch and it's my turn to pick what we watch on Netflix, you know, that's what happens at our house. That's just Bethany and I, and then the kids (laughs) as well are also uh, fighting over things. Um, But man, it's it's so good to be together and and be part of of this family. We're in a series right now called, uh, it's sort of a dual series, it's ILMC and it stands for two things. One, I love my church. I love my church, yeah? You have to clap, otherwise you'll hurt my feelings. Come on, I love my church. Uh, And I can tell you right now, Bethany and I, we we really, and our staff, we really do love you guys. And it's, man, this is a great place. I really do love you. I don't know all of you, so it's easy to love you, but I do love you. (laughs) And you don't know me, so it's easy to love me, right? You guys just hear me come up and say nice, pretty things on Sundays, but if you knew me, You'd be like, he loves the Oregon Ducks at an idolatrous level. It is. <laughs> I'm just going to call it right now, undefeated season. Let's go. Let's go. Okay. That's, that can unite us, right? That can really bring us together. The kingdom of God, people that, that, you know, root for the Ducks, and then sinners, otherwise known as Husky fans, right? It's just <laughs> making sure those are clear. But we, we really love you guys. We're in this series called I Love My Church. But it's not just I Love My Church, it's I Love My City. You see, when you love the church and you love the family that God's placed you in, when you love the house that God has planted you in, and you love the expression of what Jesus is doing in the church, the good, the bad, and the ugly, whether we like it or not, this is how God chose to reach to this broken planet, is to bring a bunch of dysfunctional people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, every walk of life together to represent what only the supernatural God of heaven could actually do. Come on. Because when you look at the world around us, it's in total disarray and total disunity. But the church is a place where there's unity, not in every issue. We disagree about everything. We disagree in this house right here, in this room. We disagree about politics. We disagree, disagree about masks and no masks and vaccine and no vaccine and what sports team to root for and all that stuff. But, you know, the issues are not the issue. The main issue is that we are united in Christ. And so we stand as a representation of what God can do. But when you, when you love your, your church, when you love the place that God has planted you and placed you, that also means you're going to catch the Father's heart. And the Father's heart is that He loves the city, that God doesn't look at the brokenness around us. And when I say the city, I mean Eugene and Springfield, but I'm talking about the world outside the walls of the church. I'm talking about culture. You know, in the kingdom of God, we live in the world, but we're not of the world, okay? We, we live in the city of man, and we are the city of God. And you can study this whole thought out, but God loves the city. I talked about this last week. The story of Jonah that ran from the call of God. God had sent him to his enemies, the people in Nineveh, the Assyrians, and God wanted him to proclaim the declaration of God's salvation, that if they would turn from their sin, God would save them. And Jonah got mad and he went the other way. And if you know the story, he he got thrown overboard, got swallowed, swallowed, right? Not swallowed, swallowed by a fish and puked out until he responded, but he still had to follow the call of God but it reflects and shows the heart of God is that he loves the city, that people that maybe uh, you want to turn into enemies, well, it's those Republicans or it's those Democrats or it's those maskers or no maskers or vaxxers or no vaxxers or whatever level or, or division that the enemy wants to create. God doesn't want you to look at those people as enemies. He wants you to look at them as family because they're all sons and daughters of God, and he wants us to speak that message of reconciliation and speak that message of truth, call people to turn their hearts to God and come to salvation. And so when you say, I love my church, you can't say that without also recognizing that the father of the house, the father of the church, God our Father, has a heart for the city. That's why I love my church, but I also love my city. city. And those aren't just slogans and, and just things we put on T-shirts, although we are going to put it on a T-shirt. Come on, that's fun. It's coming soon. Uh, we're going to get T-shirts this year. We scratched it together. We, we figured it out in the budget. We, we we decided we're going to, you know, get rid of air conditioning and we're going to do T-shirts. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm I'm teasing. <laughs> I actually asked Pastor Mark, I was like, Pastor Mark, just like in all honesty, do can we do T-shirts this year? And And, you know, he had squired some money away somewhere. We can do it. So we're going to do it. Yes, we're going to have t-shirts. How many of you do not have an I love my church t-shirt? And you're like, I need one, Pastor Jake. Yeah, because you don't feel like part of the family until you have the $8 t-shirt. Come on, you know, you need it. All right. Awesome. We're going to do it. No, we don't charge for them. So no, we, they're free. Uh, I'm excited about that. But it's not just the slogan. It's, it's really who we are, that we understand, man, we're planted in a house, we love our church, we serve in our church, this is our, our family, this is our community. And then when we are part of that family, we have to hear the heart of God. And we're also part of the family business, the business, to go out into the world. You got to be nervous when a Sicilian starts talking about the family business. I am Sicilian, yeah, my grandpa's full-blooded Sicilian. Did anybody know that? Yeah. The kafaro side, so we know the cosa nostra. Yeah, it's, uh, we're part of the family business. But God's family business is the call to go into the city to proclaim the gospel, right? To make disciples. The very last thing Jesus said to his followers when he, before he ascended to heaven was, go into all the world and make disciples, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you, which included what he just said. Therefore, there is no such thing as a disciple that doesn't make disciples. Oh, Pastor Jake, it's not my call. It is now. You know, oh, it's not my gift. Happy birthday. It is your gift. <laughs> well, I'm an introvert. So am I. I don't even know why I'm up here talking right now. It's like I heard the call of God at one point, and now I'm just up here. And now after church, I have to crawl into the fetal position and recover. <laughs> but you know what? We do uncomfortable things because they're the right thing to do, and that's our call. So whether you like it or not, if you're a disciple of Jesus, you're called to make disciples. And God's going to use you to do amazing things in the city around you because God is working his plan and his hope and His power through us as the church as we take the gospel and carry it out in the love of God to the city around us. So that's what we're doing in this series. Now, I want to be um, uh, uh, tell you something. I preached a completely different sermon in, in first uh, service. I've never done that before. Um, I'm pretty by the book, and I typically go with what I have prepared. And uh, yeah, I, just, I, I went completely off the cuff and gave a message uh, that is absolutely... A one time thing. I couldn't do it again if I tried. Um, Maybe I could, but it would be bad. It wouldn't work. So, what we're going to do is we're going to post both sermons. So, you guys are going to hear a different message today than what was preached in first service, but I would encourage you to go back and listen to it because I really just talked from my heart about those two things. I love my church and I love my city. And we talked about some of the issues that we're facing, and we didn't talk about them in a political way, didn't talk about them in a way to create division, but rather from the opposite perspective, to create unity. Because the reality is that the issues that we're going through as a society are not the actual issue. That if we would zoom out, we'd realize that times have been hard, times have been tough, and people have disagreed throughout history. But there's an unshakable kingdom, and God has purpose and a plan throughout human history. And if we'd zoom out as the people of God, then we would realize fighting my brother and sister about an issue of today is missing the issue of eternity. And so that's the message I shared first service. Uh, No notes, no preparation, so it was a little bit raw. And now you're probably curious, and that's great. I'm trying to make you curious. Go listen to it. We'll post it. We'll get it up as soon as possible. And then first service people need to hear this message because this is also important too. All right, so we're going to dive in. Father, we thank you for this day. I thank you for all these wonderful, beautiful people here today. Our brothers and sisters, Lord, we are a family. We're excited to to be, Lord, together in your presence and excited to get into your word, to grow, to be challenged, and to change, Lord, so we can love our church and be faithful to the calling that you've placed in us to be citizens of this, this house, Lord, to be members of this house but also our call to the city to be ambassadors of of your kingdom and ministers of reconciliation. So we love you, Lord. We give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I went a little bit long in my intro there, and so I'm going to go fast. I have two gears, fast and faster. That's how I talk, all right? So I'm going to go faster. Today I want to talk about money. If if you're taking notes, our message today is called treasure. And we're talking about loving our church. Do you know that Jesus actually talked about Money more than almost anything else. If you go into the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the, the Gospels are those books that, that the New Testament starts with. There's the, these, these books that were written by some of Jesus' disciples, Matthew, Levi, and uh, Mark was probably the, the recounting of Peter of what he went through with Jesus and was written down by Mark. Uh, Luke was a physician that traveled with Paul, and he had compiled these reports, and then John was one of Jesus' disciples. These are the Gospels. They tell the story of Jesus And and they recount the words of Jesus. This is where we get the words in red. If you look into your Bible and you see the words in red where Jesus is speaking, they're in the Gospels. Well, one out of every six verses in the Gospels deals with money, which is a little uncomfortable. You know, when a pastor starts talking about money in church, everybody just like puts their hand on their wallet. We're not taking up an offering, okay? We're going to talk about money in a philosophical sense, in an abstract sense today, so that we can grow as disciples, so that we can take an offering next week. I'm just kidding. We're not taking an offering. Uh, well, we are, but we always do every Sunday. But not specifically, right? We're not. This isn't. This is not a message because we have some kind of goal or something. This is because money is an issue of the heart. Money is an issue of discipleship. People will say, well, "How do you know if somebody's a real Christian?" The best way to know is to look at their checkbook. And for anybody under 30, a checkbook is this thing where it's paper and you, you know. <laughs> You look at their crypto. That'll be how it is in like 10 years, right? We'll be preaching and be like, look at their Bitcoin, you know, and you'll know. Uh, only like four people thought that was funny, but I thought it was funny. <laughs> Anyways, money is an issue of the heart. Of the 29 parables Christ told, 16 of them deal with a person and his or her money. And here's the reality. Money is a tangible representation of what you love and what you worship. The word worship is two words, worth ship. What do I ascribe worth to? What do I place value upon? So money is how I vote my heart. Money is where I put my stamp of worth and value. When I give my money to something, then it shows that I value this thing. There was a, a mother that wanted to teach her daughter a moral lesson, you know, give her a church lesson, right? Get her, get her discipled. And so she she gave her little girl a dollar and a quarter for church. So here you go, honey. And she said, Just put whatever one. You can put the dollar or you can put the quarter, whichever one you want when the plate goes by in church, and then you get to keep the other for yourself. And she wanted her to, like, do the right thing, right? We all do this as parents. When they were coming out of church, the mother asked her daughter which one she had given. Well, said the little girl, I was going to give the dollar, but just before the collection, the man in the pulpit said that we should all be cheerful givers. And I knew I'd be a lot more cheerful if I gave the quarter. So that's what I did. (laughs) got to be careful what verses you preach, right? But money oftentimes is sort of what anchors are our, our, what we value and what we're worshiping and it values even our, our joy. We were trying to explain to our children because we've been teaching them all about entrepreneurship and, and that's a big thing for us. I want my kids to learn how to, how to make money and all that and run businesses and those types of things. It's a value for us. And so we found out that at youth camp there wasn't going to be a snack shack because the camp didn't have the staff to run it. So my kids were like, can we do it? And so we said, great, we'll do it, but we have to do it as a business. So we sat down and we said, okay, dad's going to invest in your business, so I'll provide the capital. And we had to tell them what capital was. And then uh, how many of you were like, I want to know, you know, so I can start a (laughs) snack shack. You know, so here's what capital is and then we need to go purchase our, our supplies and so our expenses are our overhead and then when you sell something you have to make sure there's a profit in it because they had an idea that if we bought the sodas for a dollar they could sell them for a dollar. And then they'd have a dollar and I was like, you wouldn't have a dollar. You would have a nothing. You have a zero. So we had to explain the whole thing to them um, and, they're, and they're learning about this and they did their business and they made some money. So each kid made like over $100, which is a lot, right? If you're like nine, right? I never even saw $100 until I think I've never seen $100, right? In the, in the flesh. I've heard other people have seen it, but I've never seen it. It's like Bigfoot, right? I don't even know if it exists. But it took me a long time. I think I was in my teens before I ever possessed $100 in, you know, my wallet. But my children, they all had $100. So uh, we're trying to explain to them that like now you have money, you don't just have to go and spend it on anything that you can possibly think of in the moment. And, and we had a conversation yesterday. We were at the farmer's market, Saturday market, and they were, Evie was trying to spend her money and get different things. She wanted to buy these pendants, and I was like, I think that might be demon possessed, so we're not going to get that. <laughs> you know, the guy was like, oh, you know, when we were, so I just, we're not going to buy the like crystals. We're just going to leave that. You can get a cookie, right? We just leave the crystals, get a cookie and um just having fun don't be offended I'm just having fun uh this isn't the moment to be offended wait till later so just wait so uh we're trying to explain to her hey you think that like spending your money and acquiring a possession will make you happy right she goes yeah but actually it's because I want to get this thing because I don't want to be left out with my friends because they all have this thing and so I said okay honey well really what it is is that you want to be connected to your friends, right? It's not even really about that thing. And she was like, yeah. So we're having these conversations. But money is about worth and value. And it actually, in some way, is a way that we express those things. And so as we talk about I love my church, I love my city, this is an area that really we, we either are faithfully living out as a disciple of Christ where God has ownership of this area of our life or it's an area where we need some growth. How about that? Okay, so I want to give you three thoughts about it today. Number one, your heart follows your treasure. Your heart follows your treasure. It says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, and this is Jesus. He says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, many well-meaning Christians throughout the years misquote this verse. And we've probably, maybe you've been guilty of it. And they'll say, well, where your heart is, there your treasure is also. But that's not what Jesus said. See, what we tend to think is that what I care about, then I'll put money towards it. But Jesus actually said, hold on a second. What you need to understand about money, and I think this could be a breakthrough for some people today, is that actually we invest First, and our heart follows it. Most people misquote this, but that's not actually how it works. Now, let me illustrate this for you. I want you to imagine right now, and I didn't really do this, so just put your minds at ease, have your mind at ease, but I want you to imagine that, that you know, somehow Judah and I, because we're the tech guys here at Joy Church, you know, not Kyle or, you know, anybody else. It's us, right, Judah? Is that true? Okay, so certainly not Bethany. You know, I've helped her turn her computer on this morning, but anyways... <laughs> She broasts me a lot when she preaches, right? So I had to just, I'm sorry, babe, I won't do it again. Okay, anyways, (laughs) I'm just teasing. But imagine that we figured out how to hack your bank accounts, your mortgages, your credit cards, your investments. You know, those of you that have like $19.14 in crypto, we got it. We've hacked in, we have access to it, and we've withdrawn all of it into cash, and we put it in a suitcase. And now your entire life worth, your your life savings, some of you were like, I don't have anything, I'm not worried about it. But for those of you that do, it's all out on the street, out here on Gateway, right, or maybe out here on the freeway in a suitcase, and all of that cash is just sitting there, and we left some bills out so people that were walking by could see it. How many of you now could actually, like, sit and listen to this message in peace if that were the case? You're too religious, Rob. You're lying. (laughs) I'm just I'm having fun. No, the reality is if all of your life savings, if all of your treasure was out on the street. And again, it's it's hard to actually get the sense of this cuz you know it's not true, but imagine that it really was out there. Could you sit and listen? Could you just sit and listen and not think about it? And the reality is maybe not for everybody, not Rob, but for the rest of us, I'm just teasing <laughs> you. I love you, Rob. Uh, for the for, for for most of us, we couldn't. We wouldn't have peace. And the reason why is because there's this invisible string that goes from your heart to your treasure. I don't know if anybody else does any investing or whatever. You know, I call it investing. Really, it's just donating money to the stock market or whatever that we do. But, uh, but when you do that, when I'm in a trade, if I'm buying a stock or an option or selling something or whatever, I have my phone, has my, my information, and I always check it. And I can't stop. You're pointing at your husband right there. <laughs> Why? Because your heart follows your treasure. Where your treasure is invested, and that's what Jesus is saying. When your treasure's out on the street, you can't just sit and be at peace and have a meal or sit in a sermon because your heart is connected on this invisible string. There was this massive study done. Bethany did this great message a few months ago about service and servanthood and how when we serve, uh, it actually creates love. We think that love creates service, but it's actually the opposite, and it's the same with money. So she had talked about this study that was done where they said, Is uh, uh, that that they found out that when you show acts of love, when, when parents like adopt a child and they begin to serve that child and love that child and keep that child alive, that even though they might not be their natural born offspring, that the feelings of love and the connection and the bond that is formed is every bit as strong. And it's not. Nature, it's nurture. In other words, what you serve, you'll begin to love. And I would say it's the same with money, that where you begin to invest, your heart follows. Therefore, when we talk about our money and our treasure and our giving, it's an act of worship and we can use our money to invest either and put our heart somewhere either that it should be or that it shouldn't be. Now, how many of you know in your own life when you've done this, you've invested your treasure, you put your money somewhere and your heart followed, but it wasn't the right spot? Or you go, man, I shouldn't have done that, right? And we often don't think about this, but our money and what we do with it is an act of worship. And so the question is, where do we want our heart to be? Where do we want our heart to be? In the scripture, in the book of Proverbs, it says, guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it flow the issues of life. Your heart is like the terminal that all the subway trains of life, the relationships and everything that happens moves through And so the scripture says, guard that nexus, guard that terminal, guard that place inside of you that everything flows through. And Jesus says, that thing that you're supposed to guard, because out of it flow the issues of life, that thing that you're supposed to guard, did you know that it's connected on an invisible string to your money? Therefore, what you do with your money is leading that heart that you're supposed to guard, is leading that valuable, important, strategic place inside of you somewhere. Therefore, we need to be careful and be uh, good disciples of Jesus when it comes to our resources in our treasure. One of the things that Bethany and I said early on, we were just young married couple, and neither of us really were good with money. We had a bunch of debt. We just were kind of a mess financially, honestly. We hadn't gone through Dave Ramsey. Like, we, we didn't have financial peace. We had financial uh, stress. Yeah. I remember eating at a Red Lobster one time, which now that I think back could be the Red Lobster, but I felt so sick to my stomach <laughs> Because we couldn't afford it. We were just putting food on a credit card. And so we didn't have financial peace. We had financial stress. And uh, uh, we, we had to grow in that area of our life. But one of the things that we did do right, that we, we got right, because even a blind squirrel finds an acorn from time to time, uh, was early on as, as a young married couple, we said, we understand this principle that where our treasure is, there our heart goes. So we're going to invest in the house of God because when we have kids, We want them to see that our family treasures the house of God. And we want people to see our marriage and say they treasure the house of God. And so even as young married couple who didn't really have anything, we actually had a negative, you know, (laughs) in debt. We still said that is where we want our heart to be because we understand that our heart is on a string connected to our resources. And it's absolutely an issue of discipleship, which is why Jesus talks about it so much. Now let me give you a practical thing here move on to the, the next thoughts. Um, I want to talk about the rhythm of generosity and just kind of a quick overview of a biblical perspective of how we should handle money. Now, um, I want to encourage you. I can't teach you in 20 or 30 minutes what you need to know about getting out of debt. Many of you could teach me a lot of things, and I would love to sit and hear that, but I can't give you, you know, here's how to manage your money, and here's how to start businesses, and here's how to invest, and all that kind of stuff. We can't do that in a 25-minute in a message, 25 minutes by the grace of God message. Um, but what I can talk about, though, is a rhythm of generosity as far as how we should kind of operate as, as members of a, of a church and members of the body of Christ. So this is a rhythm of generosity that we see from the Scripture. The first is what we call the tithe. Tithe means a tenth. And so this is a time-tested ancient tradition uh, that Christians and followers of God have done since time immemorial, and I can't go into the full theology. We actually have a position paper on our website about this if you want to look at that to get more insight into this, but but tithing is a practice that I've done since I was a very small child. Uh, Bethany and I both did it, and we kept that value into adulthood, and we teach it now, and we absolutely believe in it. Tithing simply means that you give 10% of your increase, that you you give that to the Lord, that you turn that over, and it comes out of the Bible, the idea of the first, that God gets the first. And the concept of tithing, though it's very foreign uh, to our modern sort of way of thinking of money, is that we believe that if we will give God and honor God with the first portion being a tenth of our resources, that he will bless the rest beyond what we could do with that 100%. Now, I can tell you a hundred stories, probably literally at least a hundred stories where tithing has never, ever, 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 ever hurt us, only has led to God's blessing in our life. Coming from the place of being too broke and busted thinking young adults, not having any idea about money, to a place of prosperity that God's put us into now, and just not not because of how smart we were or having the best training, but literally just by the hand of God. And it's one of those things where, I never like to just say just have faith and just trust what I'm saying. I want you to study this out. Tithing is an interesting one because it's actually one of the areas in the Bible. It's the only area in the Bible, in fact, where God himself says, I want you to try me out on this. So God does not offer a lot of money-back guarantees. You're not going to find them. But he does in the book of Malachi. He says, test me in this, right? Bring your tithes into the storehouse and see if I don't pour out. Open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing. And so we believe that as Christians that we pay our tithes, that we honor God in our finances as an act of worship that we bring 10%. And so Bethany and I do this. You know, we are pastors here at Joy Church. We're part of the leadership team, but we're also members and we're disciples. And so everything I teach you today is our practice, what we do as Christians and as disciples. So we we bring a 10th, and that is the first part of the rhythm of generosity. Now, that might be a challenge for some people. That might be like a, wow, I don't think I could do that. Hey, it's just it's a journey that you want to go on, and I want to walk with you as you journey through this. It's not a legalism thing like, you know, you have to do it. No, you need to, like, study this out and do it in faith or don't do it in faith, but you need to study it out and don't just dismiss it because you don't like it because it's uncomfortable, right? So this is an, a part of the rhythm of generosity. The second part, which is actually the really fun part, is the free will offerings, giving above and beyond the tithe. Now, I'm a millennial. How many of you love millennial generation? Come on, millennials, where you at? Where's your skinny jeans at? I'm never giving up my skinnies, never. I don't care, Gen Z, that you want to wear mom jeans. I'm wearing skinny jeans. Okay, okay, I see how it is. Nobody's gonna support me here. Anyways. (laughs) Millennial generation, sort of in my generation, has come a lot of these like challenges of like, oh, tithing is legalistic. And the funny thing is I've never met a fellow millennial who felt that tithing was legalistic and wanted to do it in the New Testament style, and so they gave everything that they have to God. What I found is that everyone who deconstructs tithing never gives more than 10%, they only ever give less. So you have my theological permission as your pastor, if you love to give 25, 30, 40% because you're so New Testament and you're so grace, millennial, then please do that but I'm gonna stick with the Old Testament and be a legalistic, okay, be a legalist. This is funny, you guys are not enjoying, I mean, I am enjoying this message a lot, but maybe you just like, would have liked the first service better, maybe. But what I find is that people that wanna disagree with the tithe, they don't ever move into like really generous, it's always very stingy in that heart. And so I like to, to, to look at the fruit of someone's life. A lot of people deconstruct Christianity right now. The problem is what they build in its place is usually but ugly and looks nothing like jesus and looks nothing like 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 the church of the new testament it's not sacrificial it's self-serving it's not generous it's stingy it's not missional it's it's totally like focused on the self so anyways that's my offensive thing for today that now you can be offended but this area of the rhythm of generosity free will is above the tie this is where When we've honored God with the first, now as God blesses us, we can say, I want to give to God above and beyond what sort of my requirement. I want to be generous to God, his kingdom, the poor, people around me. This is where it's fun. When God begins to bless you in this area of finances, where you get to actually live out this verse that says it's more blessed to give than to receive. It's above the tithe where generosity and giving really, really kicks into play. Now, again, if your level of faith is like that 10% line and the tithe, that's awesome. Man, work on that, get to that level of discipleship. But I'm just gonna tell you, as a disciple that's been doing this for a long time, it is so amazingly fun to get crazy in your giving because you know that you can never outgive God. And this is the area of that free will above the tithe. Now, a challenge for you, this is what Bethany and I do, and this is not in the Bible, this is just my practice, our practice, is we've always said, hey, Let's not put a number on it. Let's put a percentage on it. Because if we put a percentage on it and we believe God's going to bless us, then if he wants to bless us more, then he, he gets more for his kingdom. Right? It's not that tricky, but, you know, a little, little tricky, right? Um, and so we've, we've said, hey, we're going to give a certain percentage, uh, and that percentage-based giving is a step of faith and gives God a reason to bless you. It's really a really awesome thing. But, I, but that's the rhythm of generosity. Again, I can't teach everything about money, even about giving and all that. But I want to just give that to you and ask you to study it and pray and lean into it. Don't ignore it, but say, God, hey, let me look at this thing about tithing. Let me look at this thing about giving. That's the rhythm of generosity. We practice it. So many of you do. And it's an awesome thing. It's a blessing of God. The second thought that I want to give you today, after your heart follows, your treasure is this. You are blessed to be a blessing that God's heart is to bless you. It is not God's will that you would be in poverty and be absolutely uh, unable to take care of your needs and be a blessing to others. I had an opportunity a couple years ago to go to Cambodia, and we were on the Mekong River, and there's a group of people that have been uh, displaced from, from another place, and they're called the, the, the Hmong people, or Hmong people, and they, they're so poor they don't even live on land. They actually live on boats. Has anybody ever been there to Cambodia and... A few of us have been there, and um, these people are so, uh, in such poverty, they, they literally live on these, these boats, and we were on this river cruise, cruise is the wrong word, it was like a river tour, but a very rickety boat, and, um, <laughs> and uh, I saw these people in poverty, and I saw little children swimming in the water where they would go to the bathroom, and I was just, it was, it, it, it shocked me as an American coming from opulence, right, that we actually live in, whether you realize it or not when you go to the third world, you realize, oh, no, no, wait a second. I live in like the richest, most privileged area ever, right? Um, and so I saw that and I was so deeply shaken and moved. I mean, I was just, to my core, I felt guilt. I felt shame. I almost felt like I wanna like give everything away. How, how is it fair that I have all of this and, and these people have nothing? And we ended up having a, um, a layover in Seoul, Korea. It was like a 12-hour layover And I remember while we were there, just really could not shake this experience that I'd had. And the Lord spoke something to me very clearly. You know, I just felt like he put into my heart, Jake, I don't want you to have empty hands. I want you to have open hands. And it was in that moment that I realized God's heart was not that I would go to the level of the people in poverty. It was that God could use me to help elevate people from poverty into prosperity. You see one of the things that the Church of the United States of America is kind of getting wrong, and I I feel pretty confident about this one, and you can take it with a grain of salt, is that we have embraced some ideologies that are actually counter-biblical, which is that everyone should have less rather than that everyone that has should be generous and elevate others. It's a very different, it's a very different thing. Slight nuance, but a very, very different thing. And if you as a believer are guilty, and you walk in shame, and you're like, well, I have, and somebody else doesn't have, and therefore, I'm doing the wrong thing. What if you just said, God, could you use me to be a blessing? Now, it doesn't work if you're not generous. See what I'm saying? If you're stingy, then it doesn't work. But if, but if we took the prosperity that we're blessed with and realized God's blessing me to be a blessing. If you look at this in Genesis chapter 12, uh, Abram is called by the Lord, leave your native country, your relatives, your father's family, go to a land I will show you. I will make you a great nation, I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. God wants to give you uh, this type of a blessing. He wants to bless your family so that you can help other families walk in righteousness. God wants to bless your business. Come on, small business owners, right? God wants to bless your business. Why? So you can help others and you can be a blessing to your community. God wants to bless you to be a blessing. Uh, God says to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you, now we know that Abraham, or Abram, or Abraham's blessing was ultimately fulfilled through Christ. It wasn't just a financial thing. This has been, I think, taught incorrectly in church prosperity gospel. You know, everybody gets a gold watch, and you know, send your check to Shiny Watch Ministries, four two two Golden Throne Drive, Tyler, Texas. Whatever. Uh, we're not taking up an offering, but um, Abraham's blessing was fulfilled in Christ. Right? That every nation was blessed and we we understand that but it also refers to the prosperity and the blessing that God gave to Abraham because we see that even in the story of Abraham as you study it out through scripture because he was wealthy and because he was had this capacity he could be a blessing and actually be a deliverer of others that were in captivity. So the reality is that God created a world, if you go right back to the very beginning of the story in Genesis 1, God gave us this whole creation of latent potential and he put inside of you the capacity to unlock it and create and and innovate and God blesses the work of your hands so that you can prosper, so that you can be blessed, so that you can bless others. Now again, because of our fallenness and brokenness, we get this all twisted up. And some people are mad. Oh, it's rich people are destroying the world. No, it's the the people that want everybody else. They're not doing any work and they want it all. The reality is God wants to bless everyone, but he wants to bless the work of your hands and not sitting on your hands, okay? Because a lot of people have this wrong right now. God does not bless you if you're living in laziness. If you are capable of work and you won't work, the scripture actually has some very strong Admonitions against that, and I'll let you search those out for yourself because I've already said too many offensive things today. (laughs) But the reality is God does want to bless you to be a blessing. Okay, I'm going to leave that one alone because we're running out of time. You okay? So let me leave you with this. Have faith and give God a great reason to bless you. I want to encourage some of you. God's put in your heart to start a business. God's put in your heart to uh, take a step of faith in your career, whatever that may be. And maybe you felt either guilty or bad or whatever because you've had a wrong thought. But if you say, look, no, I know God wants to bless me so I can be a blessing, then you can move forward in faith and honor God in this area of your life. Okay, number three, and then we're going to wrap it up because I'm getting hungry. Come on. Uh, Generosity is always a good idea. I love surefire bets. Like you can't lose. The reality is when you are generous, you are always doing it right. You, you can't, like, miss the mark by being too generous. Like, have you ever heard something, I'm just too generous? No, like, that doesn't exist. Uh, generosity is always a good idea. When you're generous towards God, when you're generous towards the house of God, when you're generous towards the people of God, when you're generous towards the poor, when you're generous towards lost people, when you give to, to a building project to reach more people, when you give, when you're generous to God's kingdom, it's always a good idea. And it's not just good like in a moral sense, but it's also a good investment. How many of you like to make good investments? Yes, it's awesome. Yeah, we're excited about that. How many of you don't know how that, has, how that works for anybody else, but you hope someday you do, right? But generosity is always a good investment. Like Jesus said, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. We store treasures in heaven. We make an investment in eternity. We make an investment in the kingdom of God when we are generous. And something that I've really believed in my life, and Bethany and I try to live this out, is that it's always a good idea to get into a giving contest with God. I grew up hearing it said this way you can't outgive God. Now, how many of you, and I want to ask people to be, not that you wouldn't be honest, but I don't want to hear like from somebody who's been a Christian like 3 months. So I'm ask, this is I'm going to ask a very specific group of people. You've been a Christian for many years, let's say 5 or more. And you have trusted God in this area. And so you've given sacrificially. Okay? You know what that means. You gave more than what you could give or whatever. You've given above and beyond, like, okay? Have you seen God bless you when you gave to him? Raise your hand. Okay. Awesome. For anyone that has Needs faith in this area. Everybody raise your hand again if you've given sacrificially and watch God bless you. Okay? This is an area that God calls us to grow in our faith. I think that's so awesome. You got in a giving competition with God, and what you discovered is you can't outgive him. When you give something to God and you go, oh I gave it to you, and now what do you got? He's gonna he's gonna blow you away. Now, does that mean that you give five dollars and God gives you ten? No. Maybe. Maybe, but that's not what it means. It's not, God isn't, he's not a slot machine, okay? (laughs) It's not how it works. Uh, The blessing of the Lord reflects in so many different areas of life. So it's not that, it's like, man, put in a quarter, get 50 cents. That's not, that's very, you know, it's almost like a grotesque way of looking at it. But the idea is that what we sow, we will reap. And yes, you will be blessed financially because God is going to take care of you and bless you Galatians 6:7 says, "Don't be misled. you cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. It's not rocket science, it's sowing and reaping. It's faith and understanding this is the type of world God has created in the universe that He's built. God is inviting you and I to participate in His economy, the economy of generosity. Generosity is always a good idea. So we want to make it our default posture towards God and understand we can't outgive. God. Paul says it this way in 2nd Corinthians 9 and we'll get ready to close. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. Another translation says a hilarious giver, which I think is awesome. Uh, I just think of somebody giving money in the offering, like, ah, you know, laughing like a maniacally. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need. This is the, this is what generosity creates. So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. God's heart is to bless you so you can be a blessing. Our treasure is what we, we use our treasure to, to lock our heart on like a torpedo, right? Lock on where we want it to go. So Bethany and I, for our family, we said, hey, we want our heart in the kingdom of God and the purposes of God. And we tell our children, hey, when you get a dollar, you give 10%, you give 10 cents. Why, why do I do that, dad? Because this is what we want our heart to be. This is what God has done for us. This is who we are, what we're about. God blesses us to be a blessing and generosity is always a good idea. This area of treasure is a discipleship issue. And I hope you hear my heart today. My heart is for God to bless you. There's no offering. There's not, our church is so blessed and prospered. Yes, we're in a building project. Of course we have needs. The more that we together as a family give, the more we can reach our city. But that's not the heart of this message. That's not the point. The point is for all of us to grow as disciples of Jesus in an important area uh, of treasure. Amen? Awesome. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this word today. God, I pray that we would receive it. Lord, that we would be good soil. And Lord, we produce fruit in our lives. God, I pray that we would catch hold of this. Wherever we sort of land on this issue, maybe we're we're kind of struggling with tithes or maybe we're struggling with giving and being really generous. Or maybe maybe for us, we even have maybe wrong thoughts about like, I don't give money to churches or whatever it may be. Lord, I just pray for your grace and I pray for your truth and your light to shine in our hearts that you would speak to each person. God, I thank you that you even said in your word that we could test you in this because you know it's hard. It's this issue of treasure. This issue of our money is a heart issue. And Lord, it's, a, it's an area of worship. And oftentimes we even feel security by holding back what you've called us to give. I pray, Lord, that we'd understand that you've not called us to have empty hands, but have open hands that Lord, we can have open hands that your blessings can come to and then we don't close them and just take for ourselves, but we remain open and we remain humble and we remain generous, that we're blessed to be a blessing. Father, I pray you would stir those ideas and those uh, entrepreneurial uh, endeavors and those uh, successes in your people so that we can be that group that is like Abraham blessed to be a blessing, that we can love the house and love the church, but also love our city so well. God, I look at our city And I see so much need and I know that, Lord, in your kingdom is that provision to meet those needs, to feed the hungry, to clothe the naked, to to put the orphans into homes and to care for widows. Lord, you have called us as a lighthouse and a place, of provision in this city. So, Lord, I pray that we'd really catch this message about treasure and understand that where our treasure is, our heart is also. We want our heart to be in your kingdom, in your house, and in your purposes. In Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and bow your head and close your eyes real quick. If you're here today, just briefly want to make an opportunity for you to put your faith and trust in Jesus. You know, we talked about money today. It's maybe like your worst fear. You go to church for the first time and you're like, oh no, uh, talking about money. Well, we, we talk about everything here, um, mostly uncomfortable things. That's just how we roll, I guess. But money is just an area, one area out of all of them, of areas that need to be surrendered to Jesus. But the most important thing you can surrender to Jesus is you. Your heart, your future, your life, your family. And it starts with a recognition that all of us are sinners, that we've turned away from God and turned away from what we know is right. We deserve to be separated from him, but God sent his son Jesus to pay the price and the penalty for our sin. And he offers us mercy and grace and all of his riches and glory. Like he offers us A place in his family. So today, if that's you and you say, Pastor Jake, I want to start this journey of following Jesus, would you raise your hand so I can see? Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. you. Awesome. Anybody else today? I want to start this journey of following Jesus and put my faith in him today. Thank you so much. Thank you. Awesome. Awesome. Okay, let's pray this together. If you're with us online today or watching on replay, you can pray this with us, and we're going to give you some next steps to help you keep walking that walk with the Lord pray with me. Dear Jesus, I confess my sin to you. I know that I have not lived up to your standard, but I thank you for your grace and mercy revealed to me at the cross where you gave your life for me and made a way for me to be reconciled with you. I put my faith and trust in you and in you alone. Thank you for saving me in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's celebrate that.